The scripture reading I'm going to be um, having you all hear just now is Luke's account of the resurrection. The resurrection account is in all four Gospels, but today we're going to hear what Luke had to say about it. And I'm reading chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But I invite you as I read to listen for the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words, And returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? I mean, after all... Put yourself there in the scene that morning. I invite you to pick a character. I I always love doing that when I come to scripture and and to a story. I, I like to put myself in the middle of it, kind of role play, if you will. So you do that this morning. You might be one of the women. We have three who are named here, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and James's mother, Mary. But scripture tells us that there were others with them as well. It just names the three, but there were more. You can be one of the men. It talks about the 11 remaining disciples, and it's 11 because Judas was no longer one of the group. But it says that there were others with them too. So we have lots of roles here that are up for grabs. And I invite you to put yourself in one of them. And consider how you would have acted and reacted on that Sunday morning. But be honest. What would you have done? Yeah, there were plenty of people who got the notice that morning about the empty tomb. 
but it just didn't seem to make any sense to any of them. It didn't make any sense at all. Everybody knew that dead bodies simply don't disappear without help. You know, unless you're considering that slow decay that naturally happens over time. But, but it had only been a few days since Jesus' body had been placed in that tomb. So, you know, the theory of slow decay sure wasn't going to work. There hadn't been time enough for that to happen. But nonetheless, here it was. It was an empty tomb. And everybody could see that plainly. It was empty. The body that had been so carefully placed there a couple of days before, wrapped in linen cloths with spices, which was the Jewish custom for burial, and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had done that, and, and they had put it in there and they had left it. That body was gone, nowhere to be seen. Now the linen cloths were still there, and that's kind of weird, because if somebody was going to take the body, if you had a grave robber or something, why would that person or persons take the time to remove the claws and leave them behind? You know, it seems like if you were going to do that, you would just grab the body and go. So that didn't make any sense. And then on top of all of that, you've got these two men in shining clothes who say that Jesus has been raised. And when you hear this and when you read it, you realize that these two guys were, were actually kind of cheeky about it. Listen to what they said. Why look for the living with the dead? Don't you remember what he told you while you were still in Galilee? You know, they may as well have ended it with a, well, duh. You know, I don't know about you, but when I put myself in that scene and imagine what it would have been like to, to have heard those words spoken by those men, I realize I wouldn't have been feeling very smart at that moment. I might have even been feeling like I was a little bit put down right then. But altogether, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, and when we get to the close of this passage that I just read, well, even then, it's not really very clear on who believed and who didn't. Verse 11 tells us that the gathered group didn't believe the women, although Peter did bestir himself to make a trip to the tomb and take a look for himself. But he ends up, as one translation puts it, perplexed. I might use the word bumfuzzled. And that's probably putting it mildly. So my friends, I challenge you again. Put yourself in the story. Think about it. Would you have believed? 
Now, fortunately for the whole bunch of people there that day, Mary and Mary Magdalene and Joanna and all of their friends and the 11 disciples and all of their buddies, well, all of those folks, and that's quite a few of them, they did get some more evidence later in the day. Because we know from other parts of Scripture that as the hours went on, Jesus began showing up in person. He showed up to the two people who were walking home to the little village of Emmaus. And then later on, he showed up to a group that had congregated in that upper room that it was kind of becoming the gathering place for Jesus' friends. But even then, when he began to show up, it was difficult for them to grasp it. It still didn't make sense. But it was beginning to dawn on them that the unimaginable had really happened. Jesus was there. He was flesh. He was blood. He was able to be touched and held on to. And he was eating with them. And so all of that proved that, that he wasn't just some disembodied spirit or, or some figment of their collective imaginations. And slowly those people began to believe and began to realize that what they couldn't comprehend had really happened. Their friend, their teacher, their Lord who they had watched being crucified, the one who had been undeniably dead and buried, now really was alive. And the unbelievable was becoming believable. And because all of that happened 2,000 years ago, is why we, why you and I are here today, and actually why we are here on any given Sunday, not just on Easter Sunday. I want us to think for a moment about all of that, why we are here, and why this is truly the most important day of the year. It's really not hard. It's really rather simple when you come right down to it. Because if there was no resurrection, there would be no Christianity. There just wouldn't. It would have never started. There wouldn't be churches dotted all across the world. We would spend our Sundays doing other things. And actually, the world itself would look very different. If the resurrection hadn't happened, we would not have the past 2,000 years of what we talk about as Western civilization that had its roots in this Judeo-Christian way of thinking. Over the years, from you know, shortly after the time of Christ, it was the Christians 
who began to do things as demonstrations of Christ's love that made a difference in the world. There would be plagues, horrible plagues. We think the COVID epidemic was bad. There were plagues that were much more deadly and centralized than that. And people would flee. But the Christians would stay to care for the suffering. And in the centuries that followed through the, what we call the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, it was the Christians who established hospitals and orphanages and universities. All of these things that have made a difference. And yes, certainly many times over the years, the message of Christ has become twisted or become diluted. And that is a sad thing for the cause of Christ when that happens. But nonetheless, the impact of Christianity has remained. And so our very lives, yours and mine, would be very, very different if the shadow of the cross and if the bright light of the resurrection had not shaded and then illuminated the world over the past 2,000 years. Our human history would have been totally different if there had never been a resurrection. And that's really pretty mind-boggling. I'm just going to leave you with that. I say, take it home and think about it this afternoon. But the resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin of our faith. It keeps everything else from falling apart. Or to use a different example, I'll say that the resurrection is a keystone. Now, back in... You know, days before ours, now we have all this modern engineering and ways of building things, but they would often build an arch, whether it was a doorway, a window, maybe a support for a bridge. But they would have these stone arches, and they didn't have a lot of mortar or this and that. So the Masons got really good at making their stones fit just right so that as they piled them and brought them together, they supported one another. And then at the very top, they had this keystone. And the keystone provided the pressure that held everything together. And then remove the keystone, and it would all come tumbling down. And that really is what the resurrection of Christ is. It is the keystone of our faith. It's the thing that everything else we believe depends upon. If there were no resurrection, Jesus would be just one more in a very long list of good teachers and wise thinkers who have come and gone. You know, and the world has had scads of good thinkers and wise people. You know, you've probably studied about some of them. 
you know, some of them have been recorded in history and remembered. And, you know, we hear about people like Confucius or Socrates or uh, St. Thomas Aquinas or a woman um, from about the 12th century named Julian of Norwich. You know, great people. And there were more than that. I'm sure that there were many others who were also wise and, and perhaps even well-known in their day and, and in their own locale, but their names have not made it through history. And all of these were good people and wise people and people who were worth listening to. And they're dead people. They died and their bodies turned to dust. But not Jesus. Yes, he died. He did die. He died completely and literally. And every year about this time when we get to, you know, Good Friday and Resurrection Day and this and that, there will be stuff out there on the internet and social media and TV and, you know, people's like, eh, well, you know, physical resurrection, probably not. And some who discount the resurrection suggest that what happened to Jesus was that he swooned, but he eventually came to. Well, friends, there is no swooning after hours of crucifixion. No, the fact of the matter is that Jesus, who was absolutely once dead, is again alive. And that's the thing that makes the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news that it is. Because it declares to us that sin and its final outcome, the thing that sin always leads to, which is death, well, sin and death have been triumphed over, and they no longer get the last word. They no longer have the authority because all authority has been given to Jesus. And yes, the cross is of vital importance. We never want to forget the cross. The cross means our salvation, and thanks be to God. And, and it reminds us that our sins have been paid for, and, and we don't long, any longer have to carry the guilt for them. It tells us that we have been reconciled to God. And so the cross is an important part of the story, and it's a necessary part of the story, but it is not the entire story. It did not end there. And for that, we say thanks be to God. Because it is the resurrection that makes all of the difference. It's the resurrection that makes the difference in our faith, and it makes the difference in our hope, and it makes the difference in our love. And there are tons of other religions in the world, but none of them give rise to the faith and the hope and the love that are the reality for the Christian. Because, friends, our faith stems from the resurrection, and the resurrection proclaims life, life, and more life. 
It's in the resurrection that the whole world gets a do-over. And that includes you and me. We get a fresh start. The resurrection means that God is taking his original creation and in its originally created state, it was so beautiful and so perfect. And then in its fallen state, it became so marred and so defaced and so ugly. But in the resurrection, God's saying, Okay, I'm going to take all of that broken and marred stuff and I am going to recreate. I am going to speak this entire creation into new and lasting beauty. God's creating power was not defeated by sin and death. And God's creating power is still every bit as great as it was from the very beginning. And so Jesus' victory over sin and death is beginning of new creation. And then because in the resurrection of Christ, God has declared and demonstrated his absolute and total ability to make every broken thing brand new again, you and I can look forward to the day when our bodies or the bodies of those that we love who are perhaps long dead and gone, those bodies are recreated into new life. We look forward to the day when the world itself is recreated into the perfection that God always intended it to have. My favorite living theologian is an Anglican bishop. Lives over in England, in Scotland, actually, I believe he is now. Bishop N.T. Wright. I want to read a few of the lines from him because he says it so well. Here's what he says. He says, when God made this lovely world, he wasn't making junk. He doesn't want to throw it away and do something completely different, as though the idea of space, time, and matter was a bad one from the start. No, what he wants to abolish from within this world is everything that corrupts and defaces and distorts his beautiful creation so that he can give the world a giant makeover. New heavens and new earth, like the present one, only with everything that's true and beautiful and lovely made even better. And everything that is bad and sad and degrading abolished forever. Those are fabulous words. That is wonderful hope. The things that we think of as the most true and beautiful and lovely, getting even better, and the things that make us weep, 
and turn our stomachs, the bad and the sad and the degrading, abolished forever? I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to living in that sort of a world. And that is the world that God has begun with the resurrection of Christ. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the message about believing. You know, in all honesty, putting myself into the story, had I been one of the women there that morning, I would have been skeptical. I know myself too well. I would have been. And it likely would have taken me a while to come to believe. I am thankful that God in his great mercy has allowed me to live in this time and this place so I have benefited from the powerful witness of many believers over the centuries. And I pray that each of you here, if you don't already, will know the blessing that comes from confidently believing in the bodily resurrection of our Lord. Because that resurrection has tons of implications for our living. And God willing, in the weeks ahead, we will consider some of those. But friends, on this day, I think it's enough for us to simply rejoice to rejoice in hope, to rejoice in faith, to rejoice in love, to rejoice in life and life and even more life. Thanks be to God.